0: Welcome to another episode of Your Queer Story. We're your hosts. I'm the fortune cookie without a fortune, Paul Hobbs. And I'm the space behind your couch that you shove all your shit into whenever your guests come over, Evan Jones. And we're so happy to be back with you today. We want to thank everyone who's been listening, especially those of you who have recommended us to others. We truly appreciate your support. If you want to share our podcast, just drop a link to our page at YourQueerStory.com, or you can share us through iTunes, Google, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And remember that downloading our episodes really helps us.
1: We also want to share your stories, which we've started doing on our social media. You can follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Your Queer Story. We also have a support group on Facebook. So if you need an online community or better yet, if you want to help others, then send us a request. Also, check us out on Instagram and join our hashtag Wall of Pride. And finally, we want to start sharing some stories at the end of our episode. So please send us yours. And how do you do that?
0: Well, we're so glad you asked. You can submit us your story in your own words through our Facebook Messenger on our website, yourqueerstory.com, or at our email, yourqueerstory at gmail.com. We ask that you keep it short, so two to five paragraphs. Also, feel free to add a picture if you're comfortable. And then finally, we just need your consent to share it either on our Facebook, our website, or the podcast, or you can just grant permission to share on all three. If you'd like to remain anonymous, then let us know. That's not a problem. And for privacy purpo- and for privacy purposes, if we don't get your... <laughs> and for privacy purposes, if we don't get your clear consent, then don't worry. We won't share anything. So if you just need to spill your story to someone, that's okay. We're always here to listen.
1: Yeah, we've had a lot of people reach out and talk to us on uh, Messenger um, and other forms of social media, but mostly there. So always feel free to reach out. We're here to talk to you. And that's part of what our support group is for as well. Um, Also, we want to let you know that we have a couple guests in our studio today. And by studio, I mean Paul's living room. So if you hear people making noises in the background, it's not the whores that we've hired for our party afterwards. (laughs) It is um, actually Paul's mother and sister and my fiancé. All right. um, So speaking of amazing stories and amazing people, today we are talking about Bayard Rustin which I am super excited. I want to pause and stay here. I'm really excited about the story, and here's why. Okay? All right, number one. <laughs> All right, so By Your Dress and Story is going to talk a lot about, we're going to be talking about civil rights today and um, African-American civil rights, people of color. Um, we're not going to talk specifically about gay civil rights so much, and I think that's important because it shows... How in every instance in history, and we've said this before, and we're going to say this again and again, we have always been here. And whatever moments have happened in history, whether it's war, whether it's peacetime, whether it's the labor labor movement, the women's suffrage movement, whatever has happened in history, you've had LGBTQ plus people right there helping with everyone else. And it shows that we've always been here, even though people have tried desperately to erase us. And Bayard Rustin's story shows that perfectly. Second it shows that a person is defined by more than just their sexuality or their gender identification. And that's important, too, because I think a lot of times people get so caught up in their labels or in being labeled that it feels like that's the only thing that matters about them. You know, like you're gay, you're trans, you're queer, and that becomes like an all-encompassing label and you feel like you can't identify as anything else.
0: Right. And you also get erased from history books.
1: Yeah, and you also get erased (laughs) from history books, and that's always a sad thing. We're getting better at it. But, all right, so on August 28, 1963, 250,000 Americans, most of them black, descended on Washington, D.C. and demanded that African Americans be granted the same rights as white Americans. This is a day that would go down in infamy, most notably for the resounding speech given by Martin Luther King, Jr., who declared, I have a dream. 2,000 buses were chartered to carry the masses to Capitol Hill. Thirty trains filled to the max brought union workers, teachers, church members, handymen, business owners, and more into the city limits. Celebrities flew in on private jets and arrived in stylish cars. People of all walks of life came out to fight for the equal justice for all. But who was the mastermind behind such an extravagant event?
0: So, I was like not thinking that this was such a big deal, but then I thought about it. I'm like, they have... All of these people here they need to figure out where the porta potties are gonna go mm-hmm. where the food's gonna be <laughs> how you're gonna like
1: I mean this is the 1960s so you have a lot of uh, people that are angry about this I mean even today if um, even today if a bunch of people of color march on Washington you're gonna have demonstrators on the side in the 1960s it was even heavier so yeah you've got to decide you've got to keep the the anti demonstrators away You've got to have permits to do this. You're, you're in Washington, D.C. Uh, on the, the, uh, the lawn there, so you can't just show up.
0: They have lot... snipers on the roof.
1: <laughs> That's true, they do. <laughs> so a lot of planning. This is a huge event. And it was actually the largest gathering on Washington, D.C. up until that point. I mean, there's been larger gatherings since, but this is the largest gathering in that area up until that point.
0: So, Bayard Rustin was born in Westchester, Pennsylvania, on March 17th, 1912. Little is known of his parents, as he was raised by his maternal grandparents. They were wonderful people, people, though, and raised him in the Quaker faith, a very passive group that holds deep beliefs against any type of violence. This did not keep them from being active in their community, however. In fact, Rustin's grandmother was the head of the local chapter of the NAACP. In elementary school, Rustin attended... In elementary school, Rustin attended segregated classes, as did the overwhelming majority of black children at this time. However, he would later attend one of the few integrated high schools in Pennsylvania during the late 1920s.
1: So, as far as his parents, I don't know if you heard uh, when you were doing your research on, about his mother. Um, do you? No. 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 So, so Bayard Rustin, So his father wasn't in the picture. His mother was actually um, raised, he was raised thinking that his mother was his sister. So we don't know what the story was there. We do know that she was young when she had him. And um, his grandmother was the, uh Quaker, or um, Fellowship of Friends. And his father was part of the American Methodist... The American Methodist something.
0: Yeah, I remember reading that. It was... Uh... It's, it's actually pools, like that. Uh, no, it's epist- <laughs> it, it, it,
1: it, epist- <laughs> <laughs> It's actually a big, it's actually a big movie because the whole reason behind the um, the American Methodist was they were founded because the the Methodist uh, Association religious branch was segregated at the time, and so I'm trying to like look this up and your internet's not working. American Methodist. Episcopal Church. I told you. Well, I don't know what you said. <laughs> the American Methodist Episcopal, the Me- African—that's what it was. African Methodist Episcopal Church, and they were formed because the the regular Methodist Church was still segregated, and so they they formed, and they were actually very a lot of the um, like the the black pastors of the time that would become civil rights leaders were part of this.
0: Uh, I'm pretty sure it? his uh, grandmother converted to that,
1: yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, she converted later because there was, like, strife in the marriage over it. I don't yeah. I don't know why. I get people of two different faiths apparently can't be in a marriage together.
0: I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. So even as a teenager, Bayard was already involved in activism, once deliberately sitting in the whites section of a segregated movie theater in protests. He could often be heard lecturing others in the on the importance of civil rights long before it was a centric issue in mainstream America. Despite this, Bayard was very popular, excelling in many areas from academics and writing to sports and music. In fact, today you can still find audio clips online of Rustin singing. Which
1: I looked up, so make sure you just google Bayard Rustin singing and you can find audio clips. Or we could just link them. We, I guess we can link them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Upon graduating from high school, he traveled for several years, working odd jobs, attending different universities, including Wilberforce University, but never receiving a degree or settling down. I actually heard a lot about this. He like he tried so many different schools, but he yeah. left it for this reason or got kicked out for this reason, and then he just never.
1: Finished.
0: Yeah. I don't know. He was a
1: kind of a free spirit. He was always an activist. So like it was like... I don't know. He might have. He might have been a little bit of that annoying guy that wherever you go, they always have a problem with it. It's like no matter how liberal or progressive something is, there's that one guy that's like, "Wow, we could do things better." I mean, I not. (laughs) I'm just saying this is young. I feel like I feel like I find that in younger people more. Like when you're young, you just expect the world is going to be a hundred percent fair all the time in every area, and that's just not reality. Like that doesn't mean that you put up with discrimination, but. You got to get people, you know. You got to meet people a little bit where they're at at the time and keep pushing forward. I don't know. That could not have been it. it. Just could be that he just didn't find something. I know that it, uh, Wilberforce. I think it was a it was a big black um, college. Not it was an African American college, and um, they didn't have the degrees that he really wanted. Also, what didn't they have? Like a what's it called? It's like a infantry
0: type type studies. Um, I think it was that he was required to sign up for service, should he be drafted or something like that. Yeah, it was
1: something like that, and he he already knew that he wasn't, because he was really getting, like, starting to adopt his grandmother's, like, pacifist and Quaker beliefs at this time already. So, in 1937, Rustin moved to New York City and began to get involved in the left-wing politics of the era. Still a devout pacifist, Bayard was drawn to the Young Communist League. He became a member and was involved for the next four years with the branch in Harlem, New York. Perhaps it was the change in communist politics with the rise of World War II, or perhaps there was another issue. There was a couple of mixed conflicts here. I do know that um, at this time, Russia invaded um, Germany. Was it, oh, God. Uh, anyways, there was the rise of communism in Russia, and um, a lot of the people, um, and Bayard didn't want to be tied to that. They were also kind of pulling away from um, from desegregation that had been a major force, in, that, that had been a major point in the Young Communist Party, and they started pulling away from it and starting t- to tell Bayard that he shouldn't focus so much on race issues which was he was not putting up with that. So he ended up cutting ties with that party, and he cut ties with communism as a whole um, in 1941. And he instead joined F.O.R., which is an acronym for Fellowship of Reconciliation. This was a Christian pacifist organization and would be Rustin's home for the next 12 years.
0: So as World War II raged on, Rustin refused to take part in the draft and join the military on the basis of his nonviolent faith. So he was not a draft dodger, dodger. he was a draft refuser.
1: This is an important point to make, because draft dodgers are like... Yeah, exactly. (laughs) People that use their wealth or whatever, they run away from the draft, and he didn't run away. They fracture their foot. (laughs) Yeah, he, he was really hurt, that's why he couldn't go. Which, I mean, Trump's not the only draft dodging president that we have, but the point is... There, there's a difference between dodging the draft and being
0: willing to go to prison because you you know you don't agree with it right so for his refusal to join he was imprisoned for 28 months upon his release he helped to co-found core the congress on racial equality in 1942 in 1947 he organ- he organized jor journey of reconciliation which was a 1940s Precursor to the 1960s Freedom Rides Bayard would travel in mixed-race groups on buses across the country Speaking about peace and equality And working to desegregate local businesses and public spaces As a result, he was arrested and imprisoned again for breaking the law So part of this was, wasn't he Weren't they, um, testing if the desegregation laws were actually being Enforced Enforced? Yeah, so they, like, Congress had
1: come forward with these desegregation laws in a lot of states And um, a lot of the southern states, especially, weren't enforcing them. In fact, were doing the opposite. So uh, this was the time where he went on a bus. He did the 1942 bus ride, and um, he's on this bus, and and the driver tells him you need to get out of the white section of the bus, and he's like, no. So every stop that they would go to, the driver would tell him you need to get out of the white section, he wouldn't get out. Finally, they get to this stop, and the police show up, and four policemen get up. On the bus, they drag Bayard off, they beat him in front of everyone, and then they, they take him away, and he ends up, um, and he goes, he spends the night in jail. He was actually arrested 20 times in his life. And Jesus. Almost all of them were for um, activism. There mm-hmm. were a couple things that we'll get to in a little bit, but yeah, almost all of them were at for activism. Also, I was watching a documentary this morning, because that's what I do on my mornings now, and I was walking about, watching about a conscientious objectors, which is what Bayard was. So yeah, he, are,
0: Wasn't he um, registered as a conscientious objector?
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so you could register as a conscientious objector during World War II. Um, so these are people that opposed going to war for whatever reason. Usually it was religious reasons. Some people did it to make a political statement because they thought that war was wrong. And... Um, Bayard, uh, oh, and, oh so it, my whole point of this was, um, that they were talking about, like, the, like, the, um, the feelings towards these conscientious objectors, because America's getting really big into their whole, like, toxic masculinity, like, we all need to go to war, we need to conquer everyone, this is America. We're the best of the best.
0: We are the best of the best. blow you best. up if you don't believe so.
1: Exactly, right? That's how we are. Um, and... And so, so people were really like these conscious objectors were being treated like the scum of the earth, and like these all these men on this documentary were reading letters that had been mailed to them during that time of like their friends, their their former girlfriends, their family members. One guy said that his father called him and said, "If you don't sign up for the draft, I'm gonna commit suicide as soon as I hang up this phone."
0: Oh my god!
1: <laughs> no, Michael, bye. <laughs> We're not talking about you and your relationship. <laughs> um, so another, like another guy, like his girlfriend wrote and, and, you know, talked about how disappointed she was in him. And she thought he was a better man than this. Another guy, his best friend was like, I, I can't believe that you would just let Hitler win, you know, by not joining. And so this was, this was a huge, not only were you going to prison often times because you re, cause he refused to even sign up for the draft. Yeah. So it wasn't just that he was he was um, not going to war because the men who were conscientious um, objectors could sign up for the draft and then they would just be drafted to work in like the mental hospitals or they would work. Um, they would do like just all the, the menial jobs that weren't being done that had been done by men that were now off overseas. Yeah. And um, but Bayard wouldn't even sign up for the draft. And that's why he ended up going to prison.
0: Bayard was a great admirer of Mohandas Gandhi, the pacifist leader of India's revolt against colonial power. In the early 1950s, Rustin, was tra- Rustin would travel to India to study Gandhi's teaching on nonviolence from the H- Mahatma's own sons. Um, when he returned to the States, Bayard passed this knowledge along to his good friend, A. Philip Randolph, known as the father of the Civil Rights Movement, and the young man Rustin was mentoring, Martin Luther King Jr. So he... Actually went to India, I think, the same year that um, Gandhi was assassinated, or shortly after.
1: It was right after, because Gandhi was assassinated in 1948.
0: Yeah, so he went right after, and he studied with all of the people that, not all of the people, but a lot of the people that had actually worked alongside Gandhi um, Mm -hmm. to gain all of this knowledge and, like, really understand how to do this. And I think this was actually the start, because in a lot of my research, it said he kind of traveled the world. A A lot of times he went to, like, Africa... Um, A lot of places in Europe or, you know, all over, just um, working as an activist outside of the United States. Yeah. um, Along with his stuff that he did in the United States. Yeah,
1: he was all over the world. It's interesting that we were doing this topic because I was getting in a Facebook debate with someone earlier this week. You know, I never do that. and. This person was talking about how important it is for us to be like. They were basically calling for violence. They're so like, sometimes you're just gonna be violent. You gotta get out there, and they're not listening to you anymore. And it. And I was just like, well, you know, as like people like Gandhi and MLK, they didn't feel like violence was the answer. It doesn't really get us anywhere. In fact, it often makes us look worse. And they're it like, that's
0: because it just makes it look like you're like violent and destroying things, like. Look at what the homosexuals are doing. They're out in the streets breaking windows. Well, this is where I kind of... burning things.
1: (laughs) Right. Well, this is where I kind of, like, got into... Because they were talking about gay rights, and and I kind of... I just made the point that, like, yes, Stonewall was important. It was a turning point, but it was a turning point within our community. The rest of the world wasn't impressed with Stonewall. They weren't like, wow, these people are so upset that we should give them their rights. It sparked an an inner revolution that, like, promoted people to get politically Involved, and that was because important they,
0: because they realized that hey we can actually do something if we work together right
1: if we come together we can do this so it's not that you should never be angry it's not that you should never protest it's just that these violent whenever you riot very little comes from the riot so is like i feel like it's always set up on this pedestal of like this is what this is what made gay rights happen and that's just not true people like bayard rustin who was a lifelong pacifist are what made gay rights happen what made civil rights happen you know learning from men like uh, Mohandas Gandhi who never like I mean the guy literally freed India mm-hmm. and millions and millions of people because of his um, and, and he did it all without ever like
0: lifting a, a finger right he freed it from the white European mm-hmm. colonies right yep. and I mean colonial, rule, colonial yeah. rule yeah and this is kind of what Bayard was trying to inspire in people like hey they did it over there let's incorporate their methods because clearly they work exactly it's proven fact
1: exactly but this has always been an argument in or in in any time you have um you always have one side that thinks that you need to be violent and angry and riot in the streets and you always have one side that's like come on guys let's settle down and i feel like both can work together I mean, because a lot of people don't know the homophile movement, um, whenever Stonewall happened, the day after, the homophile movement went through the the streets of East Greenwich where the Stonewall riots happened and put up players that said, please don't do this. Please don't riot in the streets. It doesn't help our movement. And I don't know. There's mixed reports on whether or not it was, you know, on whether or not we would have gotten where we were without Stonewall.
0: I don't think, no. I, Stonewall had to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I think Stonewall helped dispel some of the fear that people had of the police and like of the authority, because they yeah. saw that you could actually stand up to them and you could uh, act on it. Yeah. And then I think that just made people understand like, hey, there's, look at all these people willing to fight for this, so let's come together as a community. Well, it
1: did do that. It did show people that they were like, you. people were willing to fight alongside you. Oh. Mm-hmm. In 1953, Rustin would suffer another arrest, but this one was for far different reasons than civil rights protesting. When in Pasadena, California, Bayard was arrested for sex perversion, that is the legal term, because he was caught having sex with two men in a car, which... Go fired. <laughs> <laughs> he served a 60-day sentence in prison. Upon his release, Rustin tried to cover up and deny his homosexuality, yet the Fellowship of Reconciliation, that was the organization he worked for, still decided that it was best that they part ways. It would become a common theme in Bayard Rustin's life. In an interview with The Village before his death, Bayard's, uh, Rustin stated,
0: There's no question in my mind There was a con- there was considerable prejudice among a number of people I worked with. Of course they would never admit they were prejudiced. They would just say they were afraid it would hurt the movement.
1: Yeah, that was like the biggest thing. They would all—they were always ducking behind that. Like, look, it's not you, Bayard. It's just that if this gets out, it's going to hurt the movement. It's going to hinder our civil rights.
0: So part of the issue was that after this happened, he was kind of labeled a uh, sex offender Yeah, publicly. It wasn't just a, you're gay. It was like a... You're a gay sex offender. Well
1: because homosexuality is illegal, so it falls under the sex offender, you know registry. so and that would haunt him for like the rest for the next two decades, even among his own people. It was used as blackmail against him. Whenever he would start to get high up in the civil rights movement, it um, people would use it to like push him back
0: down. Rustin headed down to Alabama to help his friend Dr. King battle the Montgomery bus boycott. This was the boycott sparked by Rosa Parks on December 5, 1955, when she refused to give up her seat to a white man. The boycott lasted just over a year, ending on December 20, 1956. During this time, Bayard and King drew closer together and eventually would create the foundation for the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the SCLC, a pivotal organization in the fight for civil rights.
1: As the 60s dawned, Americans awoke to a new sense of both civil justice and free love. The latter may have prompted Bayard Rustin to stop hiding who he was, and while he never officially came out, he stopped denying that he was gay. And this is kind of like a mixed again, because I don't... He never... He only didn't... It's not that he denied that he was gay. He just always tried to downplay it, shrug it off. It's an accident. I don't know how that guy's dick ended up in my mouth. (laughs) Things like that. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but he always but then in the 60s came he just started being like yeah I'm gay Like, and so because people were holding it over his head so much I think he just got tired of it being used against him. But his entire life, Bayard never wanted to be defined by the fact that he was gay. It's not that he was ashamed of it. It just wasn't defining to him. You know, He was defined by his activism. He was defined by his pacifism. He was defined by um, the, the fact that he was a Quaker. He was very proud of that. He was defined by the fact that he was an African-American. Those were the labels that he wanted for himself. And the fact that he was gay was just, it was like You know, I have brown hair and green eyes. That's just a fact for me. And that's how Bayard always treated it. He didn't have brown hair.
0: I do. do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, which is fair. Um, But also, sometimes you just hope that people who are in powerful positions will still use that to kind of aid everybody else in your community.
1: Right. Well, it's like Rock Hudson last week on our episode, which if you haven't listened to our last episode, go back and listen to it. Um, Rock Hudson, in this place of like a celebrity status, he's gay. He has AIDS. He can come forward and help with the AIDS movement. And instead, he keeps denying not just that he's homosexual, but denying that he has AIDS.
0: You know? Yep. So just not talking about it doesn't allow you to use your power to help people. Right. Right. Uh, So,
1: um, this caused increased discomfort, his coming out, Byard's coming out, caused increased discomfort among civil rights activists, and it created many problems since Rustin was becoming an essential player in the movement's progress. In 1960, Dr. King was forced to take Byard's resignation as his public assistant. His constant push to the background because of his orientation is possibly the biggest reason Rustin is not a household name like King, Randolph, Lewis, and Parks despite this, Bayard would remain fully committed to the cause until his death he really didn't gain any recognition until about 2013 and we'll tell you why at the end of the podcast uh the end of the episode but he so he was just like erased from the history books and then in 2013 there was an event that spurred like interest in his name again
0: yep and um actually king was forced to take his resignation because they were being blackmailed um, and they were telling King, like, "Hey, if you don't get rid of this guy, we're gonna tell everyone that you're having an affair." Yeah. Um, yeah. And all this other
1: and that was within crazy horrible movement, thing. Right? That was within his own movement. People I, trying I to get rid remember. of Rustin. I, I, I it could have been wrong. It, he, they were getting blackmailed from all uh, sides, but I do know that within their own movement, they had people blackmailing Rustin and King,
0: saying, "You need to get rid of this guy. He's bring. He's dragging us down." Even with his many setbacks, Rustin's biggest contribution to his brotherhood would come in the form of the 1963 March on Washington for Peace, Jobs, and Justice. Charged with planning the event, Bayard exceeded all expectations. The march had been a dream of A. Philip Randolph for 18 years. In 1941, Randolph had attempted to organize the same same procession, only to have it called off six days before the planned event. Now almost two decades later, similar concerns still hung in the air. President John F. Kennedy was afraid that such a scene would harm the chance to pass his civil rights bill in Congress. He pulled 30 civil rights leaders from across the country into the White House and attempted to dissuade them from continuing with the march, but the leaders would not budge.
1: You're running through like you got somewhere to be. you got somewhere to be tonight? Nope. (laughs) Actually, we do. We have reservations at 645, so... (laughs) <laughs> while Rustin had not been made, ah, while Rustin had not been made the formal director of the march due to fear that his orientation would bring unwanted attention, two weeks before the big day, word got around that Bayard was the actual mastermind behind the event. Senator Strom Thurmond, a South Carolina segregation go fucking figure, stood in the Senate for forty-five minutes calling Bayard every name he could.
0: I don't know why you had a single go fucking figure. You act like every single. Because he was a Person. South Carolina segregationist. Of course he's got a problem with the gay black guy. I mean, the Confederate flag has absolutely nothing to do with racism. Oh, no, of course it doesn't. Or no. anything like that. Well, the
1: Civil War had nothing to do with racism <laughs> or no. <and> slavery either. <laughs> it, well, they, just their, they just wanted their state rights. I mean, come on. Who doesn't want some state rights? We want some state rights so that, you know, we can just sell our cotton how we want to and do things how we want to. Maybe own a couple people. There's nothing wrong with that. Not if you're from the South, there isn't. (laughs) (laughs) We love the Southerners. Um, So, Senator Strom Thurmond stood in the Senate for 45 minutes calling Bayard every name he could, labeling him a sex pervert, a communist, a draft dodger, and putting his 1953 arrest for sex perversion in the congressional record. The story hit the front pages of every newspaper in the country, and Rustin was outed and targeted for his homosexuality.
0: And this was just a way for the white men mm-hmm. to say, "You guys don't need a civil rights movement. Why are you guys letting this this crazy man lead you into things that you That's, shouldn't be doing?" Yeah.
1: See, this is what the black community wants. They want to bring in all these gays and these homos and this whatever. They're gonna spread the, sex, gay the, I mean, gay <laughs> the gay agenda, Gay The gay agenda.
0: So for once, Byard was not drafted and hidden away. But instead, the committee of civil rights leaders came out and stated. We have absolute confidence in Bayard Rustin's integrity and ability. The plan continued forward and culminated into the landmark moment remembered in today's history books. Even though he was never given the title and credit he deserved, Bayard and those around him knew how instrumental he had been in creating the pivotal point in American politics. So in
1: 1965, Rustin became the director of the A. Philip Randolph Institute, which was an organization devoted to building links between civil rights groups and organized labor. He would stay there for the next 22 years until his death in 1987. He remained vigilant in the civil rights movement, traveling the country and the world, advising civil rights leaders, speaking at events, sponsoring voter registration drives, and so much more. So his act, I mean, just like I said, his, his activism continued on through the rest of his life. At least after, after this point, he had a steady job. And um, back to the the leaders coming together... To speak out in favor of Rustin or just throw their supports behind him after the allegations broke that was for the most it was like split because half the men were doing that because they believed in Rustin half of it was just like well since this white guy's gonna be throwing one of our people under the bus I guess we got to stand up for him Mm -hmm. so there was still a lot of like homosexual prejudice within the committee and he still had he still struggled a lot with that
0: yep so um, actually during Bayard Rustin's younger life Younger life, um, at least up until he met his last partner, who he spent his life with. He was actually um, not into the idea of monogamy. monogamy yeah. He was um, into the idea of free love, I guess. Just like a lot of other people, he was yeah. non-monogamous. Yes.
1: Yeah. Um, so was he a polygamist? No. He was. He was a Now he was a polyamorous. So um, It would be that's when you marry several people. Polyamorous is when you're just open to love, but you can't be married to several people realize that difference when- I think a lot of people don't realize it you can't hear it that's Paul's mom interjecting <laughs> with asking about pol- the difference between polygamy and polyamory and there is a big difference because polygamy is actually super sexist that's all like like I said that's usually one guy and like eight wives and he can have as many wives as he wants but his um his wives can't of course have any boyfriends or wives and then polyamory is where it's just free love so all the couples can kind of mix and mingle how they please and you know that a lot of p- things fall under that umbrella term of polyamory but yeah. so yeah.
0: and as far as i can tell from what i saw once he met his um the last partner he ended up with in his life he actually uh stayed in a monogamous relationship from that point on from yeah. what i can tell which but, he was like in his late 60s by then right but, yeah maybe he just didn't have the energy to do <laughs> yeah, it <anymore>. yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> i don't know because somebody asked his partner his name was walter and they asked him like well, because there was a lot of questions because, um, Bayard had written earlier when he was arrested for being a sex deviant, um, or for sex perversion, he had written and that, you know, maybe I should just avoid sex altogether because it was like he, he didn't want to be with a woman and now he's, he's really, cause he had, he was afraid that, he was afraid at that time that his homosexuality would prevent him from
0: being able to help others. Right. You know? So he thought, if, you know, what if I just, Stop doing anything until yeah. I'm done with what I want to do. Then maybe I'll just be in a better place.
1: Right. And so the interview asked the interviewer asked Walter, you know, do you think that Bayard considered being celibate? And Walter just laughed and said, yeah, maybe for five seconds. <laughs> so I don't know what it says, but apparently yeah. he likes sex and that's good.
0: Yep. And actually, in order to protect their rights as a couple, since they couldn't get married, mm-hmm. Bayard actually adopted him. I don't know how to
1: say that. I don't know how to say his last name either. I should just say Walter. Walter, I want to say it's Nagel. it's N-A-E-G-L-E, so, so we'll in, say Walter when yep,
0: you see that. Okay. No way, that works. <laughs> in order to protect their rights as a couple, Bayard actually adopted Walter. Um, as his son, which was a somewhat common practice among gay, lesbian couples for many years. So that's probably where the term daddy comes from. <laughs> I I'm just saying. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you know you. you got to be your daddy
1: just so you can get a little <laughs> bit of rights. Maybe.
0: It was a humiliating and difficult process, though the only legal way for one partner to leave their assets to the other. So I remember actually hearing that for this to happen, Walter's mom actually had to sign paper where it's like Paperwork, basically giving over her son. Yeah,
1: she had to disown her adult son because they were 20. Um, so there was a big... There was a big gay... Uh, big gay there was a big <laughs> gay thing. There was a big age difference between them. Um, not that it would matter, but there was a big age difference. But still, Walter was 27 when he met Byron. Byron was in his late 60s. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah. So as a 27-year-old man, his mom had to turn over her parental rights. And then... A social service worker had to come into the home and observe it to see if the child was going to be a good fit for the family. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's
0: really strange. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, awkward. But like I said, it's the only way you can leave your assets. It's Also, a big one is hospital Yes. Like, who's going to pull the plug? Or who's right. going to decide if the plug's pulled? You know, like, do you want... You and know? even
0: just if the family is like, no, you're not, you can't come in right. without any kind of rights... The um, the gay partner could just be completely denied Out of the ho- uh, hospital room mm-hmm. um, From the funeral, everything They could just be completely blocked out Which
1: happens even today If you have not seen It is on, I'm pretty sure it's on um, Hulu right now um, It's Bridegroom I think it's Netflix Maybe Netflix. it's Netflix. It's on Netflix right now. So go to Netflix. This is one of your, um, li- your little uh, homework assignments, your questions. Go to Netflix and watch Bridegroom. And it is a story from the um, like mid-2000s, late mm-hmm. 2000s. I came out, I think it was like 2013. I was right around there. And it's a story of a man who's with his partner for six years. Gay marriage has not been legalized yet. They were actually engaged. And his partner dies and he is not allowed to go to the funeral. He's not allowed to go into the hospital to see him after he's dead. Like he couldn't he had to wait weeks to even go to his partner's grave to, to visit it. Yeah, didn't and, the
0: family threaten to like kill him yeah. or like have him arrested or something? The, thre- the family
1: the threatened to beat him up if he showed up at the funeral. He's he like went to the state. I think it was in Indiana. I'm pretty sure. And was like, probably was. <laughs> Yeah, of course it was. He went to the state, but he wasn't allowed to actually go to the funeral. And then like he went later to the gravesite. But and this was what happened in 2000. Like I said, this was the late 2000s that mm-hmm. this happened. So uh, imagine in 1980. If your partner died, you, you know, you, you have no chance in hell of having any say in how they're buried in what their medical care towards the end of their life. Yeah, and I'm sure
0: a lot of people actually died and their partner didn't even come forward because they had to be such in such right. a closeted um, relationship that the partner probably couldn't even think to come forward or come to the funeral yeah. because they couldn't be outed themselves. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, so... So, and for the peak couples that were living together, the only option was to, for one partner to adopt the other. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't, there didn't have to be a big age difference. Like there were, there would be like a 40 year old man who would adopt his 36 year old partner because well, what else are we going to do? You know what? You give us a law, we'll find a way around the law. So go ahead, motherfuckers.
0: <laughs> So when bayard died of a heart attack in August of nineteen eighty seven, Walter inherited his estate and founded the bayard Rustin Fund to commemorate the values and legacy of the civil rights icon. In two thousand thirteen, Walter accepted the Medal of Freedom from Barack Obama in honor of Bayard Rustin and all he had done for the movement.
1: Yeah, so that's the that was the incident I was talking about. So when um when Obama awarded him the medal in honor of Bayard, that's when all of a sudden people were like, Oh, who's Bayard Rustin? And that like brought him back. So now there's a good amount of information on him but the, you know he died in 1987 that was in 2013 so you're going almost 30 years without this guy um you know 25 years without him his name being spoken and he was such a instrumental like
0: he was one of the key players he was a cornerstone <laughs> in the
1: in the civil rights movement you know like i said he was the mentor to dr king like he does you know this guy was huge mm-hmm. all right so though buyer didn't start speaking. Publicly speaking out for gay rights, specifically so specifically about gay rights, until I put the nineteen eighties. It's actually the nineteen seventies he started to speak out for uh, gay rights, and that was actually uh, partly because Walter encouraged him mm-hmm. to. He still he always maintained that he thought it was a private matter. But as you know, um, you have Stonewall happen in nineteen sixty nine, the gay rights movement begins to take off, and so Byard finally threw his voice behind it. But despite that, his tireless devotion to peace and human justice were voice enough. We'll end this story with this quote from him. If we desire a society of peace, then we cannot achieve such a society through violence. If we desire a society without discrimination, then we must not discriminate against anyone in the process of building the society. If we desire a society that is democratic, then democracy must become a means as well as an end.
0: And actually, the he turned... So they were doing some... Um, something about like the key players in the gay rights movement Mm -hmm. and he was approached and they were like hey here you go we're going to give you this award blah 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 and he refused it because he said no i was not there i was not one of the um founding i was not one of like the people who started this movement i deserve no credit in this so he was not only this great person who helped so many people he was also extremely humble and very Mm -hmm. honest
1: yeah he was and 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 that was true and that would like people would come to him and they wanted to interview him and he would always say, and, and again, it wasn't that he was ashamed of his homosexuality at all. It just wasn't a movement that he, he was so caught up in every other movement that he just, you know, he wasn't as involved in um, the other I don't know how he had
0: time for everything. I don't know
1: how he did. And he did, right up until the day he died, he was active. So that's all we have time for today. We hope that you have enjoyed this episode and we make sure, please, that you tune in every Wednesday for new ones.
0: Also, please make sure you download our episodes as it helps us to get sponsored and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.
1: And also, if you want to share your story, just remember, all you have to do is go to our social media, especially Facebook, but any of our social media. There is a link on there for a form that you can fill out that shares your story. If you can share a picture as well, that's great. So go there, click the link. Send us your story. We're going to start adding them to the end of the podcast pretty soon, as well as sharing them on our social media platforms. And your recommended resource for this week is Sister Outside, a collection of essays and speeches by Audre Lorde, who is an African-American feminist, lesbian writer and activist. And can't recommend her book. Ah, I can't recommend her work highly enough. Make sure you check it out and make sure that you stay queer, our little queerstions. And don't get a lobotomy. Chao.